Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Many of us don't know what we don't know. And in an age where there's more information available at every turn than there's ever been on, on, on planet Earth, I wonder how much we know that we know that we know to be true. Every time, in every situation. Um, John closes, First John chapter 5, that's where we are today. He closes this, this first letter of John uh, with these affirmations that we, we need to know now. We opened with his saying to us, here's what I've seen, here's what I've walked, here's what I've experienced. So I know these things to be true. And you should know them too. And he reiterates that as he closes here to say, I write these things so that you may know what you believe, know what's true. Then after he sold us on, on his, his own firsthand knowledge in chapter one, he breaks down this, this book with these essentials that we've looked at. Essential number one being obedience. Number two, hearing the Holy Spirit. Number three, knowing our identity in Christ. Number four, the things that love does, how active love is. Number five, turning up the contrast knob between light and darkness, between good and evil, between ourselves and the culture. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what love is as defined by John in 1 John chapter 4. And then last week at this idea of who is Jesus, really? Who is he to us? So we wrap up today with this last essential of 1 John with essential number eight, meaning to live out and walk what you know. What do you know? Are we living and walking that out? So join me in verse 13 of, of chapter 5, if you will, and let's follow along. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. And we know that those who are born of God do not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, five pullouts today from this passage. I want us to glean about things we know. And he uses this phrase, we know that, six times in this text that we just read together. So I think he wants us to know that we know these things. I think that's the case. So first thing is this. We know that there's more than what's here. We know there's more than what's here. Look again at verse 13. I write these things 
to you, believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You may know you have eternal life. Not that you may hope you have it, not that you're counting on you have it, but you know that eternity is waiting for you. And knowing that eternity is with him and that it's waiting should cause us to live with a couple of attributes. The first is this. We should live with a level of anticipation because we know those things to be true. Anticipation meaning that we are forward-focused. We're looking forward, looking ahead, forward-thinking, not allowing the enemy to beat us up on who we were, not allowing him to regurgitate our failures, but looking forward. Paul, Paul writes about that himself. He says, I leave those things behind which are behind, and I reach forth to that which is ahead to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has for me. So this idea of living with anticipation says, I'm looking forward to what is, what I will be, what I shall become, not what I have been or where, where I've been or even what I am today, but into my glorified state, into my eternal state. The second attribute is not only anticipation, but is this attribute of confidence, which is knowing what the future holds, because I know who holds the future. And if I know what the future holds, I, and I can, it, it, there's no mystery, it's all in this book. What the future holds is in this book. And so we can walk in confidence if we know what the future holds, and we know that our identity is there and not here. Our identity is, is, is in that place. When I trusted Christ as my Savior as a nine-year-old boy at a tent revival, I was born at Baptist Hospital, but when I, when I trusted Christ as a nine-year-old boy at, at, at tent service, my spiritual birth certificate was written at that time. And the address on that birth certificate said, there, not here. I think it's important that we realize <clears throat> that not only does anticipation have us forward thinking, but confidence, <clears throat> excuse me, confidence has us knowing who we are, what the future holds, and knowing that our identity, our residence, who we really are, is more about there than it is here. Most of us don't live in light of that truth. We believe it, but we don't live in light of that truth. So living with anticipation and confidence gives us security, it gives us identity, it helps us know who we are, whose we are, and where we are headed, not where we are today because there's more than what's here. Secondly, not only do we know there's more than what's here, but we know that God answers prayer. Look at 14 and 15 again. God answers prayer. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. I wonder if you approach God in prayer with confidence. Is that the exception for you? Or is that the norm for you? If not, is it because you don't think you can or you don't think he can? Whatever can is. I wonder if we don't approach him with confidence because we don't have the confidence that we can make this work or because we don't have the confidence that he can make this work. One of those reasons is why we don't approach him with confidence. He promises though couple of things. He promises that he hears us, he says in, in verse 14. And the second promise is that we have what we ask. He hears us and we have what we ask. I've been married 42 years and it took me about 20 to realize my wife don't want, want me to fix the things she talks to me about. She just wants me to hear them. 
Now, my bent, and, and, and most, male in the, most males in this room, our bent is to fix the things that are wrong. You know, she'd come home and talk about something at school. I said, well, let's go to school and get this straightened out. That's not what I'm going to do. I just want you to hear me. Again, I know I'm a slow learner, but it took me about 20 years to hear that. Now I ask, how were the turns today? What, how'd they go? And I, and, I, and I get the day and silence, crickets. Because she just wants to be heard. God hears us when we pray. I, I wonder if, if we live in light of the truth that he hears every prayer, uh, whether it's voiced in repentance or in joy or regardless of our, the frame of mind we have or the frame of spirit we have, to know that he hears us and the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, the scripture says, as we pray. But he hears us, that's, that's a great, great promise. And, and this, this follow-up promise is that we have what we ask. Now, it's, this word have in this verse is a continuous present tense verb, meaning it is continually present in the past, in the present, and in the future, meaning that we, what, we, what we have is already ours. It has always been ours, and it will always be ours because we belong, we belong to him, and we pray according to his will and ask of the Father who wants to bless us and give us more of himself. Um, so, so how does all that occur? How does this hearing occur? How does uh, getting what we're praying for, asking what we're praying for occur? He says in this verse that it is according to, if you pray according to God's will. So how do I know how to pray according to God's will? Well, let me give you a couple, a couple of pieces of advice about that. First is this. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray for God's will. He is interceding for you even when you don't. Even when you're stumbling and you're, you're stammering and you're thinking, there's no, there's no way God is listening to all this. Because I can't, I, can't, I can't pull it together to, to, to sound godly. I don't have the wherewithal to, to, to pray godly. And the Spirit translates godliness for you. So ask that same Spirit to help you pray. Ask that same Spirit to give me unction, give me desire, give me knowledge, give me wisdom. Help me know how to pray for the things I need to pray about, whether that's me or someone else or something else. That's the first piece of advice. The second piece is to pray what is biblical. To pray the things you know to be true in Scripture. Uh, if we are doing that, we're praying according to God's will, but he, he, he will never put in Scripture and in our hearts things that are contrary to, to, to the Word of God. So how do I know that? Well, let me give you an example. You may pray because you're, you're, you're struggling financially and you're struggling there's a struggle to pay your bills and meet, meet, meet the monthly needs you have. So you pray and ask God for more money. Most of us do. God, can you bless me with more so that I can pay my bills? Well, acquisition is not a biblical principle. Stewardship is the biblical principle. So if I am a wise steward with what God has blessed me with so far and, and today... Very oftentimes, not always, but very oftentimes, God will cause that stewardship to, to give me more acquisition to where I have more means to work with and, and more means to, 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 to meet my financial needs and the financial needs of my family. So 
And then, then rather than my praying for acquisition, rather than my praying for more, I need to pray for wisdom. I need to pray, stop praying for acquisition and start praying for stewardship. Spirit, help me know how to pray for stewardship. Help me know how to pray for the things that, that I, would, I would handle our money and pay our bills and, and reprioritize our home and our, our life around the things that are, that are in this book to where I find myself having means that I didn't know that I had before. Why? Because my priorities are different. Why are my priorities different? Because I prayed for God to make me a wise steward of what I had. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about in praying the will of God. When I know that I'm praying according to God's word, I know that I'm praying the will of God because we know that God answers prayer. We know there's more than what's here. We know that God answers prayer. Thirdly, we know that nobody's perfect yet. We know that nobody's perfect yet. Look at 16 and 17. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray that God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Well, before you get caught up in this sin that does lead to death, let me explain, let me explain that to you in Mark chapter 3. Verses 28, 29 says this. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven of their sins and all the blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of eternal sin. So what is this idea of blasphemy? This idea of blasphemy has to do with denouncement, rebuttal, and rejection of the Holy Spirit. Denouncement, rebuttal, or rejection of the Holy Spirit so, who, who, is that centrally, who, who does that centrally involve? It centrally involves a person who doesn't know Christ. It usually involves, and most often involves, a person who is an unbeliever and who has, by way of the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction onto our heart about our need for Christ, and our rebuttal of that conviction, our, re our rejection of that conviction, blasphemes the Holy Spirit. So, as we receive the Holy Spirit, we, we receive the conviction, our heart is stirred, we, we realize our lostness and our need for Christ, we, we receive that, that instruction, we receive that truth. Whether we pray to receive Christ or not, we understand it to be true. If we don't believe that to be true, and we cause the Holy Spirit to be a liar, and we reject that conviction, we are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. A, a saved person can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, only a lost person can. So, with that out of the way, He's saying here that we will sin. No, no doubt about that, probably already today. We will sin, but the vehicle around sin and out of sin is prayer. That's what he's saying in his verse. So, should I make changes in my life according to these truths? Yes, yes, and amen to that. However, changes are good whether, whether they are changes in our environment that cause us to sin, whether there are changes in, in, in the fact that we are less accountable to people that we allow into our life to hold us accountable to our own sin, what we say we want to be true, or whether we are, are failing to seek counsel and wisdom about some of our failures. Uh, making change is good. Uh, it, it's a good thing, but the best thing, uh, which is deliverance, the best thing comes, he says here, through prayer. He says, pray for those who are in sin around you. They, if they know Christ, they won't continue to be in sin, he says in this passage, meaning they won't remain there. It won't be a lifestyle for them. So 
pray for those you know to be believers that are involved in sin. He says, this is going to be the way around, the way through, the way beyond their own sin. If that's true for us praying for them, we should seek the prayers of others when we're, when we're struggling with sin and, t- and temptation as well. Um, because we, nobody's perfect yet. That day's coming, but we've not seen it yet. We know that there's more than what's here. We know that God answers prayer. We know that nobody's perfect yet. Fourthly, we know that we are being made perfect. We're being made perfect. Look at verse 18. We know that those who are born of God do not continue to sin. That's what I just shared with you. The one who was was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Consequently, the victories over old temptations, the victories over old habits ought to be greater and more frequent the more we mature in our faith the more we grow in Christ. Um, if you're struggling, for example, with coveting, wanting someone, what someone else has for your own, we struggle with that because we don't have the maturity to see that, as I, as I talked about earlier, if God gives us the wise stewardship to, do, to make wise decisions with what we have, we won't see our need for some, what someone else has. We'll be grateful and blessed with what we do have. So if we have habits, as I mentioned earlier, that are reactionary, maybe you struggle with a temper that you can't control. Uh, those victories around those temptations, around those habits, grow as you grow in your faith, as, as, you, as you mature. Um, I've sh- shared this with you before, but safety is not the absence of danger. Safety is the presence of God. He's saying in, in, in verse 18 that when you are under my shelter, you don't continue to live in sin because I've got you and I'm protecting you. Now, is there demonic influence in this world? Yes, there is. You better believe it. Is there demonic influence in this church? Yes, there is. Every Sunday, you better believe it. He, he doesn't want anything to happen here of a godly nature and will, if he can, keep us from that. But understand this. There is demonic oppression and there is demonic possession. A believer can be oppressed by demons but can can never be possessed by demons. That's a pivotal truth you need to understand. A believer's heart can never be possessed by the enemy. It can be oppressed. And anybody want to say amen to demonic oppression? But it it can't be possessed. He's saying if, if you're mine, you won't continue to sin. I will protect you from the evil one. Uh, and that is, that is a great, great promise. So in the presence of God, the enemy can't harm you or gain victory over you. Now, he's going to continue to try and, and make you think that he can. But he, he knows what verse 18 says too. The enemy can read. He knows exactly what verse 18 says about him. And he knows that to be true. But we are being made perfect as we grow in our faith, as we mature. A person who's been through some valleys and, and been through some mountaintop experiences as well. You've seen the glory of God. You've experienced the glory of God. You've been to a valley. You've seen the hard place. You've seen the dark place. You've seen the hopeless place. And you've seen the markers between both of those destinations, whether it's a mountaintop experience, whether it's experience in the valley, whether our life cycles back and forth between those two places. We've seen those places and maybe have resided there for some time. If we've experienced those things in those places, there's wisdom that comes out of those experiences. There's wisdom that comes off, off of that, that yes moment, whether it's in worship or a retreat or a conference or a revival, wherever, wherever it has been for you. 
there, there are lockaways and takeaways from those yes moments where you sense and know the power and presence of God like you never had before. There are moments in the valleys where you think, God, where are you? I don't see you. I don't see your hand. I don't feel you. What's happened? And he's never left. You've sensed his presence there. You've wondered about his presence there. And you've experienced every, every graduation in between those two places. Those kinds of things should bring about a growth in your faith. Those kinds of experiences should bring about markers for you. I'm not going to forget that one. I'm not going to forget that one. I'm not going to forget that one. Why? Because we are being made perfect. We are being made more into his likeness, into his image. And the enemy knows that to be true as well. Well, we know that there's more than what's here. We know that God answers prayer. We know nobody's perfect yet. We know we're being made perfect. And finally, we know Jesus brings us and binds us to God. He brings us and binds us to God. Look at verses 19 and 20 again. We know that we're the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who, him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. By the finished work of Christ, we can know him who is true and be in him who is true. Now, we know him by, by, by way of salvation, by way of, of conviction of our lostness and our receiving him as Savior and our Lord. But we find ourselves in him his, who is true in one of two ways. To be in him is to be in relationship and to be in fellowship. Now, relationship depends all on him. He died for our sins on the cross, was resurrected on the third day, lives in our hearts by the promised Holy Spirit coming in to abide. That, that relationship is held intact by that experience of, of our yielding ourselves to, him, to his lordship and the Holy Spirit come, coming in to take up residence in us to seal us. So all the relationship is on him, not us. All the fellowship is on us, not him. If we have fellowship with him, we initiate that fellowship does he want it and pursue us? Yes, he does. He's not going to force us to love him. He's not going to force us to read his word. He's not going to force us to pray to him. This dialogue of his speaking to us from this book and our speaking back to him through prayer needs to be a continuous cycle of his word in us and our word to him, his word in us, our praise to him, his word in us, our worship of him. And that cycle brings about this idea of our being in him, both in relationship that he holds and in fellowship that depends on us. So if that fellowship and relationship are both where they need to be, we're going to find ourselves in a place of total confidence, in a place of satisfaction, in a place of fulfillment, in a place of blessing, in a place where life starts to make more sense. So why is this relationship, this relationship of permanence why is it so cherished? Well, because it says here the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's why we should cherish relationship. That's why it should matter to us. The whole world is under control of the evil one, yet you and I don't have to be. You and I don't have to walk there. You and I don't have to experience that. Will we, will we face temptation and yield to it from time to time? Yes, we will, and yes, we do. About, based on what he says in this text, we, can't, we don't have to live there. In fact, a believer who knows Jesus can't live there. It says that person can't continue to sin because God seals their heart and protects them. Will they fail in sin? Yes. 
but as a lifestyle, no. Uh, so he's saying here that he, he brings us to God and binds us to God. Now, when we know these five things to be true, going back to what John said in chapter 1, he's saying, I know this to be true. And, and he closes here in chapter 5 by saying, we know these things to be true. Saying, Are you, do you know this too? Have you experienced, I've experienced this, have you experienced this too? I've walked this place and this is what I know to be true. Do you know these same things to be true? Because he's saying you should know these things to be true. If you don't, pursue him. Pursue them and pursue him. So the simple close to today's message is pretty obvious. What do you know? What do you know? And the second question is, are you living what you know? Can I give you, can your pastor give you a confession today? I'm not living what I know. I'm just not. I know more than what I'm living and walking out day to day. I'm more aware of that today than, than ever before. And the older I get, hopefully the wiser I get, and that's still debatable. But uh, the older I get, the more mature faith I have, the more I see his hand in my life. The more I want that, the more I, the more I seek to walk that out. But I'm not living what I know. But here's, here's what I want you to get to, is the enemy will beat you up with what you don't know every day if you let him. He'll beat you up with what you don't know. Whether all you know is Jesus, him crucified, resurrected, and ascended, you know the gospel. And you know enough in knowing the gospel to change your world. Perhaps not the world yet, but your world you can change. If you know him and know the gospel, you think, all I know is John 3.16. You know John 3.16, and you invited Christ into your heart. You know enough to tell the story of his changing you to change your world. Or, as I said earlier, whether you've been to the mountain, you've seen his glory, you've touched his hand, or to the valley, and you've seen in the valley his sustenance, and you've seen in the valley his deliverance. Those experiences of, of growing your faith, of maturing you in who, who, he, who he is, you know more because you've experienced those things and you are now accountable to walk out the more that you know, the more that you've experienced. Uh, are we doing that? Are we living what we know? Uh, if we are, some folks are going to be following you into this room next week. If your life is counting where it needs to count and sowing into the people around you that God's placed you in their sphere of influence, a more contagious faith is the byproduct of walking out and living what we know. Is that true of you or not? Well, I pray that it is. Let's pray. Father, we live today, each of us in this room, guilty of, of not living what we know, whether that's a little or a lot, somewhere in between. So with John's admonishment to us that we should know these things, would it stir in us to know these things? Would it stir in us to pursue you in a deeper way, to have a greater hunger and a greater discipline for sticking our nose in this book, not just here on, in this room on Sunday mornings, but tomorrow, the day after that, the day after that. Soaking up truth and then squeezing the sponge out into a world and a culture that's dark and controlled by the evil one, as we just read. Because this world needs Jesus. Not just the Jesus in the Bible. Not just the Jesus in this room. 
but the Jesus in our hearts and the Jesus that rose off our lips. So compel us to, st to tell the story, to live out and walk out what you've already taught us to be true. And then cause us, as your word says, to hunger and thirst after righteousness so that in turn we can live and walk that out too. There are those in our world that need to see that desperately this morning. Give us the love for them and the desire for them to share the mountaintop, to share the valley, or to share just the simple gospel of what we know to be true. Stir in us to live that out, to speak that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.